I remember it's Kanaga. 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 <laughs> Kanaga. Kanaga. Okay. Welcome to Trust Hacker, the podcast for elder and special needs law attorneys hacking their way out of the trust and tax jungle and seeking the sunny uplands of trust nirvana. And now, here's your guide, Bob Mason. Welcome to Trust Hacker, where we explore the tricks and traps used by the country's best elder and special needs law attorneys when tackling complex trust, tax, or other practice issues. Trust hacking is the term I use to describe any shortcut, skill, or insight that will help you crush it in your practice. In other words, a trust hack is anything that solves a trust or tax or other practice problem in an inspirational or ingenious way. My guest for this episode started in small-town Kansas, graduated from Wichita State University, summa cum laude, before moving on to Cornell Law School, where she graduated magna cum laude. After graduating from Cornell, she practiced in the estate planning practices of two very well-known New York City law firms before returning to Wichita and law practice there. Finally, in 2013, her old boss at Milbank Tweed, Hadley & McCloy, Jonathan Blotmacher, pulled her into Interactive Legal, one of the country's leading providers of legal content services for estate planning and elder law attorneys, and which Blotmacher had co-founded with Michael Graham of Dallas. Graham has described her as an intellectually creative attorney who is an integral part of Interactive's content development team. Over the next half hour or so, I think you'll understand why I wanted her to chat with us and share some of her practice insights. In this episode, we hack Vanessa Kanega. The Trust Hacker is brought to you by TrustChimp, an educational resource for attorneys attempting to hack their way out of the confusing jungles of public benefits and tax law and to reach the sunny uplands of trust nirvana. Sign up for a free membership at TrustChimp.com. Gain access to educational membership materials. Have the latest newsletters and articles delivered to your inbox. And stay in the loop on the latest offerings at TrustChimp. That's TrustChimp.com. We're back with another episode of Trust Hacker, and today our guest is Vanessa Canega. Vanessa, welcome to Trust Hacker. I think this is going to be kind of fun, so let's just jump right into it. All right. Thanks, Bob. Thanks for having me. Well, as we all know now, uh, you, uh, you and I have something in common. We're both from the Plains, the heartland. I'm from Nebraska, and you're from Kansas, and you're in Wichita right now, So, you, but you started off in Wichita or in Kansas. Yeah, that's right. I'm originally from Kansas. Um, I was uh, initially raised in a little town called Junction. Well, not a little town, but a smaller town called Junction City. In I know where that Kansas. is. I know where that is. You do? Yeah. How do you know Junction City? Because I'm from Nebraska. <laughs> oh, well, yeah, I guess that makes sense. Uh, and then moved to Wichita when I was a teenager in middle school. And uh, so I'm from here. Met my husband when I went to Wichita State here, um, go Shockers, and uh, he and I went to law school together in uh, in New York, uh, in Ithaca, New York, at Cornell, and from there, 
we lived in, uh, after law school, we lived in New and practiced in New York City for several years uh, in Manhattan and then moved back to our hometown a few years ago in um, 2012. We moved back to Wichita. And when you said you practiced law right after Cornell, that was not Manhattan, Kansas. That was Manhattan as in New York. (laughs) Yes, it was the Big Apple and not the Little Apple, as they like to say in Manhattan, Kansas. Okay. So... While in Manhattan, you worked for a number of law firms, some of the biggest around, or at least some of the more prestigious ones around. And um, we'll talk more about this in a second, but that's kind of a, uh, I guess, a little like Dorothy saying, oh, Toto, I don't think we're in Kansas anymore. And <laughs> now you're back in Kansas. Yeah, I, I've never heard that one before, Bob. Uh, oh, oh, really? Oh, oh. <laughs> yeah, yeah no, nobody's ever thought of it. Yeah, no, it was it was a different experience. Um, but honestly, you know, I, I think back on it and, you know, I think for anybody living in, in the city, it's especially coming from a, a smaller, Wichita is a decent sized place, but it's certainly smaller than New York. Um, you know, that's a... a different sort of jarring experience. But when I think about it, it was really the move to Ithaca that was the most um, sort of eye-opening and new, you know, just because it's a a completely different, different coast and and sort of different attitudes and things. So it was really just the move to the East Coast that was sort of the big initial shock. Um, And from there, it was kind of a funnel into into the city. So, uh, yeah, it was, uh, it was a good experience. Glad to be home. Glad to have a house, a yard, all of that. Okay. So, while in Manhattan, though, um, and um, I don't know whether I appropriately covered this in, in the introduction, which you haven't heard, um, you have some highly sophisticated estate tax planning experience and, and with the firms in Manhattan, and um, I'm working with Jonathan Blotmacher in particular. You you had exposure to some incredibly wealthy clients, and and so you were doing some pretty sophisticated stuff. And now here you are back in Wichita, and that's not to say that Wichita doesn't have its share of wealthy people, but um, uh, there you are making a living. So why don't you take a second to tell us what do you do now? Well, I am currently working for a company called Interactive Legal, um, and we, uh, among other things, have several um, uh, drafting programs that other attorneys use, uh, primarily estate planning attorneys and uh, elder law attorneys, or I should say our programs are estate planning and elder law planning programs. Uh, We have our sort of uh, high-level program called Wealth Transfer Planning that's been around for several years um, that that does the sort of high net worth estate planning, uh, you know, from top to bottom, wills, revocable trusts, and powers of attorney to grats and uh, something new we have called a SPLAT and every acronym you can think of, um, as well as as a program that called the Essentials Program that's sort of intended for... Um, people who maybe estate planning is not their primary focus or they don't do necessarily the sort of uh, more complex graphs and that sort of thing. And then, of course, the elder law planning program, uh, elder law and special needs planning, uh, which is sort of, I think, your more your area of focus um, for attorneys in that area or estate planners who are, are sort of expanding into that area. So, 
I am what we call a content attorney. I develop our documents, edit our documents, the documents that get used in the program, and um, uh, also answer questions from our customers who, you know, are, are other attorneys, uh, questions about the documents, questions about, you know, res- various resources that we have or that I might be able to point them to. Um, I'm just getting ready to go to the uh, the Heckerling Institute in Orlando as we speak. That will be next week. So, um, you know, I do a fair, a little bit of traveling to conferences and things where I get to meet our customers and potential, uh, potential customers. So that's really what I'm doing now. Um, and before that, I was at a, a law firm here in Wichita. And, you know, like you said, it, it was it was very interesting working there um, because we do have some wealthy people here in Wichita. I was still doing the sophisticated estate planning. There was a lot more oil and gas planning than I had ever done in New York. I'll tell you that. <laughs> okay. So, but, and... You know, full disclosure, many of the folks uh, who might hear this uh, know that um, um, I cooperate with Interactive Legal Services on on the trust chimp trust summits that uh, they help promote and everything. So I'm familiar that they're in Melbourne, you're in Wichita, and so you do a, a virtual commute, so to speak. Yes, that's right. And that's just for people listening, that's Melbourne, Florida, not uh, not the one in Australia. So it's, right. it's not quite that, that long of a virtual commute. <laughs> I'm not working in the middle of the night or anything like that. But um, but yeah, I, uh, I work out of my home, um, as do some of our other attorneys and, and other staff. Um, a lot of us work remotely. I think the, the company, the principals of the company, you know, Jonathan Blotmacher and, and Mike Graham, um, were kind of, have always had the the idea that they wanted to find the best people for the job and the best people to work with the company, you know, regardless of where they are. And so a lot of us are remote and um, we have some really good people in the Melbourne office too, of course, but um, a lot of us work remotely and it's, I have to say it's pretty seamless. You know, we, I communicate with people via chat and of course we can always pick up the phone if we want to go back to the old way of communicating. Um, but yeah, it works great. Okay, great. Well, let me ask you this, Vanessa. Uh, what one thing do you do that you believe has contributed most to your success, whether in private law practice or with interactive? Hmm. Well, you know, I think that the thing that I would say has helped me the most just in general and in, in my past and, and in what I do now is You know, I I try to approach every new problem or every new interaction kind of with an open mind and a a fresh set of eyes. You know, obviously, you're always bringing to it the experience that you've had, but, you know, try to look at everything, um, like I said, with a fresh set of eyes. And so if if I have a, a customer who's calling and saying, you know, I'm I'm not sure how to how to do this, or I'm not sure which option I want to choose here. Um, you know, I always try to to take a step back and and sort of drill down and ask them questions to to figure out exactly what they're what they're looking for. You know, because it may not be what was my initial assumption when I first heard their question. And you know, I think that's just sort of taking everything at face value and and um, you know, keeping an open mind about things and then just 
I would say just working as as hard as you can and being as committed as you can. Um, you know, when I left Millbank Tweed, I certainly never thought I would work with Jonathan Blotmacher again. Um, I would have loved the opportunity, but I just never saw that as something that was going to happen again. And then I moved back here to Wichita and was working for a firm here that I loved. But Jonathan called me one day and said, we're looking for somebody else to work with Interactive Legal. Would you be interested? And it sounded like a great opportunity. And, you know, I felt very lucky that I had tried to always put my best foot forward with him and really put in the time and the dedication um, with him when I was working with him and everyone else at Millbank, of course, too, um, you know, so that I, I hopefully, I guess, made a good impression and he remembered me, you know, all those years later. So I think that's really what it is, is just anything you're doing at any given moment, you know, always try to give it your best. Um, I know that sounds kind of trite, but it's, you know, it's hard to do on a day-to-day basis. But if you always try to keep that in mind, I've found that 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 works out pretty well in the future. You may not be able to see it at the time how it's going to work out, but it always will. Well, let me ask you this. Is working for Jonathan, uh, either directly or indirectly and interactive, much different than working for him as a uh, junior associate? Yeah, you know, it really it really is. Well, I guess I would say it is different, but I'm not sure if that's really from his perspective or my perspective. You know, I feel like we have at this point in working with him, you know, I have some experience under my belt. And when I talk to him, I feel like we're colleagues. Um, I feel like he treats me like a colleague, like he listens to my ideas. Um, I, you know, certainly feel comfortable challenging an idea that he has because I, if I think there's an issue with it or if I think it could be done differently because I think that makes us all better. Um, but, you know, Jonathan is just the type of person that when I think back on it, even as a junior associate, I feel like he really treated me that way. Um, I think I was maybe a little bit terrified and a little intimidated, so I didn't always didn't always feel that way. But I think he, he really always... Uh, I think he's a very good, just a very good person in general, but somebody really good at approaching everyone in that way and, and like I said, being open-minded and listening to everybody's ideas. Well, you and I have both discussed about, uh, uh, you know, sitting down with Jonathan, whether over dinner or sitting around a conference room, and he just starts spraying off case names and revenue rulings and, <laughs> and everything. And, of course, all you can do is sit there and nod, nod sagely like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. mm-hmm. And inside oh, yeah, you're going, holy mackerel. I <laughs> yes, of that. course. <laughs> I was just reading that revenue ruling last week. Yes, right. <laughs> absolutely, Jonathan. Yeah. <laughs> yes, I've had that experience many times. <laughs> well, let me ask you this. If you could go back and I don't know if you're a golfer or not, know what a mulligan is. If you could go back and take a mulligan, do mm-hmm. it, get a do-over on anything in your career, what do you think that would be? Oh, gosh. Um, you know, this is something I've been thinking of lately is when, uh, as I mentioned, I think I mentioned I went to Cornell. And um, Cornell has several uh, clinics that you can take part in as a law student there and they're sort of hands-on, you know, you're, you're doing, I don't want to say legal work because of course you're not an admitted attorney at that point, but you're, you're working in the clinic with attorneys and handling actual cases and researching and preparing briefs and things um, in the clinics. And they have, Cornell has some great clinics from asylum law to um, I think there's sort of like a legal aid clinic. And I never 
took the opportunity to do any of them because I knew I wasn't going to go into any of those areas of law. And I thought, well, this isn't really going to further my career. It's not going to give me any experience that would be useful to me. Um, and, you know, I really, I really regret that now because I think for one thing, that's exactly the reason you should do it is because that's an experience that you might not get to have again. Um, and so take the opportunity those three years when you're in law school to do something that, you know, maybe is not in your future, um, but you can experience it then. But the, the other thing that I've realized is that it's really not true that that experience is not going to help you. You know, I think any any experience you have dealing with people, dealing with complex issues is is helpful as an attorney or just as a person um, down the road. And so that's that's one thing I really wish that I had done was was taken that opportunity. Well, this is sort of an off the wall question, but if you had to purge your library, electronic or print, I don't care. And for that matter, I don't care if it's just your law library. If you had to purge your library, but you could hang on to one book or treatise, what would it be? My gosh, you asked the tough questions. I thought I thought you were just going to be ask, asking me about tax law. I didn't know <laughs> I was going to have evil to answer the question. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> one book. Oh gosh. Well. Well, let me give you a, a, this is a good answer because there is a, a, a now a print version and an electronic version of this. I would have to say the book that I've been turning to most lately is, um, you know, one that I'm sure will be familiar to a lot of our listeners, Natalie Choate's uh, Life and Death Planning for Retirement Benefits. Um, Speak in hushed no matter, tones when you mention that book. Yeah, yes, Natalie Choate. Yes. Um, <laughs> but yeah, you know, that's a book that no matter how many times I read it and I think I've got it, Every time a question comes up about a qualified plan and, you know, how long of a stretch out do you get and when do the required minimum distributions start, I have to go back to that to her book and look at it. And um, so that one is definitely invaluable to me. And, uh, you know, it's great. We are, are one of our partner companies or our it's really it's really interactive legal. It's a sub, I guess a kind of a subsidiary of interactive legal. Um, has started publishing an electronic version of that book, and it makes me so happy every time I open it up because it's searchable. You can easily find what you need, and uh, so yeah, I, I turn to that quite a bit. All right, you are in. Uh, you've got an interesting perspective uh, because, and we're going to talk about this in a bit more uh, detail in a few minutes, but uh, you come at this from um, an estate planning, estate tax planning technical background, and you're uh, over the past, I guess, year or so, you've, you've been uh, exposed to elder law out of necessity, and you're having to learn what makes elder law attorneys tick and everything. So you're going to have an interesting perspective to my next question, and that is, what do you think the biggest challenge is going to be, the biggest challenge facing el either elder law attorneys or estate planning attorneys over, say, the next five to ten years? You know, I think for estate planning attorneys, it's because it's taken me a while to to come to this, um, I think it's it's realizing that we are in a different world now than we were 
you know, I don't know, gosh, five years ago when I started practicing the exemption and which is not that long ago, you know, the exemption was two and a half million. The state tax exemption was two and a half million. We still had a million dollar lifetime gift tax exemption. We've now got five million and change unified gift and estate tax credit. Um, so you no longer have that limit on lifetime gifts. Most people are not going to be hit by that. <laughs> you know, most people do not have more than $5 million to have to even worry about estate tax. For couples, now we've got portability. Um, and so it's, it, we really, I think estate planning attorneys are really having to wake up to the fact that um, there's not the opportunity for as much complex estate planning as there once was. It's still out there. I mean, I'm still astounded when I see, you know, I, I, like you said, I do have a unique perspective. I feel like sometimes I'm kind of sitting on top of the world looking at what all the other estate planning attorneys are doing. And I, I see people, um, you know, from all ranges of, of somebody who says, I really never, ever have to worry about the estate tax because none of my clients are ever going to have a net worth that's going to, to reach that level. And then I see people who, you know, would never consider drafting a will that didn't have a credit shelter trust in it because all of their clients um, have en enough uh, net worth that they're going to be as a couple over the, the $10 million threshold. But uh, so they're still out there, but it's not as significant as it once was. And so we've got to, to kind of figure out where, where to go from there. You know, I think there's still a need for estate planning attorneys, but I think that is why a lot of estate planning attorneys are turning to an elder law practice. That, and of course, just the aging population in general. Um, and so I, I think... I think it's going to be something that people are going to need to become a lot more well-versed in is the elder law and special needs planning. Um, I've also seen a lot more people asking questions, you know, talking about Natalie Choate's book about retirement benefits because you have more and more people that a significant portion of their wealth are is in qualified plans and IRAs. And, you know, it's a really big deal to make sure that you're planning for those correctly, that they're creditor protected, and that you're getting the longest um, stretch out period that you can for those assets. So um, those are the, the challenges that I see. And, um, you know, as an estate planning, somebody with an estate planning background, learning about elder law, I mean, you and I have talked about this and you talk about this, I know, in your in your trust chimp lectures that it's what it, I'll, I'll let you say it. What is the phrase that you like to say? Oh, uh, elder law attorneys are from Venus and estate planning attorneys are from Mars. Yeah. We, yeah. we operate off the same celestial chart, meaning the tax code, but we work in different atmospheres, different planets. Yeah, <laughs> yeah no, that's exactly right because it's really in a lot of ways um, – what I see with elder law planning is that it's almost estate planning flipped on its head. You know, you're doing sort of the same thing. You have clients with the same goals and that's getting assets to their family members, making sure their families are taken care of, making sure that everything is handled um, efficiently and in, in the way that they want it to be after their death or after their incapacity. You know, a lot of the goals are the same, but a lot of the techniques that you use to get there are almost the opposite. Well, um, recently, you and I, in fact, were, were talking about... Um, um, what was it? Uh, oh, estate inclusion. 
yes. to get stepped yeah. up basis where, you know, that, that if from, from the estate planner standpoint, quite often it is must get this out of a state. Right. And from the elder law perspective, it's must include an estate. I mean, you're seeing things like that. Oh, yeah. Yeah. No, that's a really good example of, you know, when that when that came up, I found myself you know, having to really go back to the rules that we rely on all the time as estate planners and think, okay, if somebody has a discretion, if the grantor has a discretionary interest in a trust, is that going to cause estate inclusion under 2036? Well, you know, as as an estate planner, unless you're doing an asset protection trust or something, you're really never even going to get there because you're going to stay try to stay as far away from that as you can. Whereas in this situation that you're talking about, they actually wanted estate inclusion, so I had to really sit down and say, okay, is that going to be enough to cause estate inclusion? You know, it was really the opposite of my typical way of um, the way of thinking that I've been trained to do. So, yeah, it it is. It's everything just turned on its head. Which has been interesting uh, uh, for me from the uh, uh, trust chimp, you know, from our trust summits uh, through trust chimp. Um, yeah, I've been taking the position that one way or the other, you're going to have to learn the grander trust rules and trust taxation rules because whether you are coming at it from Mars or coming at it from Venus, you better understand what it is that you're either trying to attain or avoid. So. Right. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, and the grantor trust rules are a lot like the qualified plan uh, rules in that I have to go back and revisit them every time it comes up. Oh, and there's nothing to be ashamed of there. Um, <clears throat> dirty little secret in my background is I started practicing law right out of law school and spent my first few years as an employee benefits and ERISA lawyer. And it has marred my personality ever since. But... Um, <laughs> Uh, but I find myself even now having to turn to uh, Natalie's uh, book and, and some other treatises quite often just to, just to get myself um, refreshed. I think one other thing that you were going to touch on, I thought you were going there, is, is maybe the estate tax is becoming less important, but income tax planning, I think, is becoming more important. Yeah, that's right. I mean, you know, you had just mentioned um, planning to try to get the step up in basis, right? So when somebody dies, you have a state tax inclusion and they get the step up in basis under Section 1014, at least typically that's the case. Um, and that's yeah, that's becoming more and more important to look at. You know, it, it used to be, or at least maybe I was naive, but it, it, I think it used to be before the exemption reach this level that, you know, you were always looking at keeping it out of the estate and nothing else mattered. You know, you want to keep it out of the estate. The estate tax rates were so high that that was really always going to be the answer is try to avoid estate tax. Um, you know, if it's not included in the estate, you don't get the step up in basis. So you may have built in capital gain that's really going to come back and, and bite you later on, but it's not going to be as significant as the estate tax. So you, you just want to avoid that estate inclusion. But now I see more and more people having to look at, well, 
maybe it's better to have these assets included in the surviving spouse's estate or in child's estate even um, because they're not going to have a taxable estate or it's not going to be that, you know, that significant of a, a taxable estate. And maybe it's better to get the step up in basis so we don't have that capital gain later on. So, yeah, that's, I, that's definitely something that I'm seeing all the time from our uh, customers and, and just whenever you go to conferences and things now, that's really one of the big topics that's out there. That that also uh, um, made me think, uh, especially since we were talking about retirement benefits, um, um, from an employee benefit standpoint, um, um, earlier in my career, and I'm sure with you, um, uh, I would deal with jumbo IRAs or uh, other large retirement accounts, and, and the, the idea was must obtain stretch, uh, uh, maximum stretch, must ensure if you're going to name a trustee um, or a trust as a, a beneficiary, you've got to ensure that that trust is a designated beneficiary. And I'm not going to get into all the technical requirements of that. And it took me a while early in my elder law career to get my head around the idea that maybe the appropriate answer is sometimes, so what? Our concern is protecting the account and if you look at the rules that apply to someone dying after their required beginning date, uh, even if the trust isn't designated beneficiary, it just says re, uh, continue to distribute as quickly as you were in the past. And you go, okay, and the spouses are about the same age. Maybe you're losing a little bit of stretch there, but it's not that much. But at the end of the day, you're talking about a $70,000 IRA that you're trying to protect. So, so what? But. Yeah, I think that's right. I mean, I, I you know, I think like I said, we it seems like we're seeing more and more significant IRAs and qualified plans and so, you know, you're maybe looking at 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 something that's that's more significant than 70,000 or or more mm -hmm. significant portion of somebody's wealth. And so I think it's still important to keep it to always keep it in mind, you know, if you can if you can designate a trust as a beneficiary and you have the IRA or the, the plan assets going into the trust and it's creditor protected, I mean, that's obviously the, the biggest goal. But then if you can get the, the longer stretch out period, you know, that's obviously a benefit and why wouldn't you try to do right. that? But I, I do think that's, I think you make a good point too, that we, you know, I hate to call us nerds, but I think I think as a state estate planners and elder maybe elder law attorneys as as my uh, you know I don't know as many elder law attorneys, so I don't want to cast them in this light. But I think we kind of get nerdy about looking at these details and wanting to you know we think it's really cool to try to get the the maximum stretch out period. And like I said, that's usually going to be the best uh, the best result if you can get it. But we do sometimes lose sight of you know it's really not the end of the world, and if it makes it more efficient and it's more in line with the client's wishes to do it another way, then, you know, maybe you sacrifice that stretch out period. I think as long as you try to make the client as informed as you can about it so that they know what they're sacrificing, um, then then that's really all that matters. But but I think you are right that we shouldn't, we shouldn't lose sight of that. Well, and in the elder law context where you more often have more modest sized um, IRAs, it reminds me of a discussion I was having a few weeks back 
with family. Um, there were uh, there was um, a one parent. Uh, there was an adult um, child who was an only child, and there was a financial advisor who was there. Welcome having the financial advisors in there, but he was saying, "Bob, with what you're doing by naming the trust, you know." Mom will not be able to inherit the IRA, and I dealt with that. And he said, furthermore, pointing at the son, he will not be able to inherit that IRA and stretch it out in his own name. And I turned to him and I said, I'll make up a name, Percy. What were you going to do with that? And he said, buy a truck. (laughs) (laughs) I rest my case. (laughs) No, that's exactly right. Yeah. And so if you're looking at something like a $70,000 IRA, and most likely it's a family that, you know, the kids are going to need that money or they're going, it's, it's a nice windfall for them. And, and that's absolutely right. The stretch out is not going to matter one bit to them. So yeah, that that's I think that's a good point. Make sure you know your clients and and sort of who you're dealing with and what their goals are. Okay, uh, Vanessa, this has been really interesting. But what I want to do is sort of move to the wrap up phase with I haven't decided quite how I'm going to do this, but with maybe two questions or really sort of the flip side. Um, uh, and so I'll throw them both at you and, and okay. you handle them. Uh, I'll try to be ready. One of my favorite ones is, and you're in a position of dealing with lots of attorneys. That's what you do now, more attorneys than, than lay clients. Yeah. Mm-hmm. What one, part one, what one thing do estate planning, elder law, trust attorneys do that drives you nuts? <laughs> you know, I mean, it's it's so tough because I don't want to say I, we are all guilty of, of this to a large extent. But the, I think the thing that I see a lot is um, attorneys letting their clients sort of drive the plan. And what I mean by that, I mean, that sounds silly, right? You always want to do the best for your clients and, and, and meet your clients' goals to the best of your ability. But, you know, if you have a, a client that says, well, I don't really understand why we're doing it this way. Can't we just make it simpler? You know, a lot of times that uh, it's like we were just talking about with the with the the stretch out trust, the see through trust, and getting the stretch out for an IRA. Sometimes you can make it simpler, and that's the best that's the best way to go. But other times, you know, I look at it as we have as attorneys, we have a duty to our clients to say, you know, I know you're not familiar with this, but this is what I do, and. You know, I really think even though this is more complex, this is going to work out better for you. So let's go through it together. We can, you know, I'll, I'll make sure you understand what we're doing here so you're not going into it in the dark. But I really think this is going to be better, even though it may not have been exactly what you were looking for, what you thought you wanted to do. I really think this is the better approach. And, you know, so I, I think we all want to be people pleasers, you know, and and I think there's a real tendency to say, well, the client's really pushing back on this and I should really just try to give them what they want. And sometimes that's the right answer, but other times it's really not and it's not in their best interest. So, you know, I I would say that's the thing that I see a lot, not not necessarily from our from our customers, but just in general when I because I get out and travel and meet people a lot now, and um, that's kind of what I what I see the most, you know, when, just when I talk to people. Okay, I'll give you the flip side then. Okay. 
you obviously know plenty of attorneys. You know plenty of smart lawyers, folks who know their stuff. Mm-hmm. They're also likely very hard workers. You don't work in Manhattan or a lot of other big cities or even smaller towns without being hard, hard workers. Mm-hmm. You have to be to be able to survive in this profession. So let's let's take as a given a certain high base level of knowledge, skills, competencies in the attorneys that you know. Mm-hmm. What do you think, over and above that, is the one thing that makes a truly remarkable lawyer? Just caring. I, that is the thing that I see. The people that I have admired the most that I've worked with, and Jonathan is one of them, and his uh, former partner at Millbank, Georgiana Slade, is a great example of this as well. Just the people who really, really care about their clients personally, care about you know getting the best result for their clients, and you know, like you said, I think nobody gets to that level without caring about being meticulous and being technically correct. I mean, so that's, that's always there, but I think having a real personal interest in, in the client and just caring that, uh, you know, you're making them happy, caring about what happens to them, um, so that you're really invested because it's, you know, it's difficult work. It can be tough work sometimes in a tough life. And I think without that sort of personal investment, it's it can be a rough slog. Um, and I think you really have to have it to, to be a, a kind of a shining star in, in this field, at least. That's really a great answer. Um, that's really good. Well, thank you. Why don't you take a few moments um, and just tell us about, um, you did a pretty good job early on in the interview of telling us what you're working on and, and what your job is, but is there anything that you would like to tell us that you have that you could offer right now or where we can go to find out more about what you're up to? Um, for that matter, if you want folks to be able to reach you, um, how do they do that? Um in other words, take take a few seconds here, and it's your time for a commercial. <laughs> All right. That sounds good. Well, like I mentioned earlier, I'm going to be heading to Heckerling next week. So that's obviously a big conference and a big time of year for us and for a lot of estate planning attorneys. So I'm really looking forward to that. It's a great chance to meet Um, meet some of our customers, see some of our customers that I haven't seen in a while, and uh, meet some new people and see some old uh, former colleagues as well. So looking forward to that. Um, You know, we've constantly got new content that we're developing at Interactive Legal. Um, We recently uh, started offering a new practice system called Retirement Benefits Planning that actually has automated versions of the sample Uh, beneficiary designation forms that are in Natalie Choate's book. And we're looking to add some new content to that, uh, maybe relating to some uh, direction for for people, you know, uh, kind of providing some automated smart guidance in terms of planning for retirement benefits. just and you know then just working on developing uh, more and more content within wealth transfer planning uh, and our other programs, elder law planning um, and the essentials programs as well, keeping them up to date and, and adding more and more options and 
and and things. So um, we also have uh, we started having uh, interactive legal summit conferences last year, which have been really fun um, and and I think really good events. And uh, we're looking forward to having another one of those in Boston this April. So I'll be doing that. And um, if anybody wants more information, please go to our website at uh, interactivelegal.com. And you can find my bio there. Um, you can find the bios of our other attorneys, of Mike and Jonathan. You can see a little bit about our products and, and what we do and some resources and learn about our summit conferences if you're interested in that. Um, and if anybody wants to, to reach out to me, um, I'm happy to, to have them email me directly. Uh, I don't know if you will have a way of, of posting this. So yeah, that I'll, post those, uh, I'll post those in the uh, online show notes so that folks can go there and see that. So. Okay, yeah, and it's vkanega at interactivelegal.com. Um, happy to, to hear from any of your listeners. That's Kanaga? Uh, Kanaga? It's Kanaga. Why don't you spell it for us? <laughs> it's V-K-A-N-A-G-A at interactivelegal.com. Good enough. Vanessa, All right. this has been really interesting. It's been a lot of fun, and I really want to thank you for joining us. Well, thank you so much for having me. You know I'm a big fan of podcasts, so it was a great honor for me to uh, to join you today. You can listen to yourself on your next run. Oh, great. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks a lot, Bob. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye. I really enjoyed that conversation with Vanessa and learned an awful lot. I was particularly interested in hearing how a sophisticated estate tax planning attorney was coming to grips with having to apply those same concepts in the elder and special needs law context. Very interesting. I went back and re-listened to our conversation to see what in particular was going to jump out and stick with me, and one thing did, and it was something that wasn't technical at all. Did you get it? Did the same thing come out and stick with you? Let's listen to the hack. Just caring. That is the thing that I see. The people that I have admired the most that I've worked with, and Jonathan is one of them, and his uh, former partner at Millbank, Georgiana Slade, is a great example of this as well. Just the people who really, really care about their clients personally, care about you know, getting the best result for their clients. And, you know, like you said, I think nobody gets to that level without caring about being meticulous and being technically correct. I mean, so that's, that's always there, but I think having a real personal interest in, in the client and just caring that, uh, you know, you're making them happy, caring about what happens to them um, so that you're really invested because it's, you know, it's difficult work. It can be tough work sometimes in a tough life. And I think without that sort of personal investment, it's it can be a rough slog. Um, and I think you really have to have it to, to be a, a kind of a shining star in, in this field, at least. And there you have it. It may seem obvious, but you've got to care about the person sitting across the conference room table from you. You're dealing with a real human being. And I think the client is pretty good about picking up 
on an attorney that really cares. If you combine technical expertise with that caring, I think you've got it licked. Remember, if you haven't done so already, jump over to TrustChimp.com and sign up for a free membership. There's all kinds of news that will be coming your way, some free materials posted on there. I think you'll enjoy it. I look forward to talking with you on the next episode, and in the meantime, I am out of here. TrustChimp.com 